This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. The Canadian Medical Association has been part of the United Nations Climate Summit. The summit has been considering the health impacts of climate change, and the CMA has an idea. Michelle McQuig is the weekend news editor at the Canadian Press. Michelle has more on this story. Hey, good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Dave. And so, everyone. And everyone else, but but just just save it for me for now. Just just I, I like to think of it as more personal. <laughs> Only I get the good morning, Michelle. It's implied for everyone I'm, else. All right, <laughs> greedy. I'm greedy on a Monday, uh, Michelle. Th- there's actually quite a bit to this story that's quite interesting. Yeah. The CMA is advocating for the creation of an intergovernmental position. This is kind of a big question, but what would the focus be? Yeah, well. It- it's a good thing you're asking about the focus because details are sparse. We don't know a lot about what they're specifically calling for, but what they want is called a National Health and Climate Secretariat. And what they want is basically an office within the government to work across federal, provincial, municipal jurisdictions to build a, cl- a climate-resistant and carbon-neutral health sector in Canada. That's in short what they want. What that would look like, of course, would be super complex and again, details are, I don't, This it's just an idea at this stage. Yeah, yeah. But that it's, is ultimately it's, what it's... they want to do is to try to mitigate the impact of a sector that in and of itself creates a surprising number of emissions that I never quite realized, but also just to really emphasize the, the direct link between climate change and healthcare, which they're exploring, they dedicated a day to it at COP28 for the first time. Yeah, so so let's let's dive a little deeper here. I know uh, you found yourself in a rabbit hole, and so did I when it came to healthcare and climate change, because there has been a little bit of conversation about human health directly, but not necessarily the sustainability or footprint of the industry itself. But exactly. Then, but then you start thinking about it, and you're like, oh goodness, how much medical waste is filling landfills or or other areas of uh, disposal? A hundred percent. Or how many emissions are generated by various forms of transportation, ambulances, people commuting for home care. Um, one that I had never thought of until I was reading about it at COP28 briefings was the use of certain types of inhalers. Uh, apparently, there's a lot that escapes from that, a, sh- a shocking amount. Like, and and when, when I talk about some of these numbers, consider that globally, on average, the healthcare sector is expected to contribute about 5% of global emissions. In the United States, it's 8.5% of that country's emissions. In Canada, it's about 4%. So these are actually fairly significant things. Oh, another fun fact. Did you know that it's apparently certain types of anesthesia are more carbon neutral than others? Because I sure did. I did not know that at all. Right? So that these are the sorts of things that that keep coming up. And of course, this is all sort of the backstory behind, like you said, Dave, the impact on human health, which is becoming increasingly clear. Seven million global deaths last year due to heat-related things. More than 600 dying in BC alone in 2021 with the heat dome that they had there. Uh, The effect of wildfires um, on people's health. The respiratory respiratory side of of, of wildfires is is a huge one. Oh, yeah. And and almost fittingly, in a way, COP28's Health Day, which was yesterday, took place in Dubai under hazy skies. So, yeah, it's real. It's happening. And these are exactly the sorts of connections 
that the various cop delegates want the world to take more notice yeah. of. The other thing that, that I consider here, Michelle, in these conversations is what it's going to take to power assistive medical devices. Because there have been some mm. pretty disingenuous conversations had in the last uh, six to eight weeks about the reliability of a more carbon-neutral electricity grid. But it is worth considering, considering the importance of reliability for people who might use something like a ventilator, other breathing devices, yeah. uh, dialysis machines, that if you are moving towards a greener grid... Now, I'm one of the people who does believe that there's a strong case to be made about the reliability of, of a greener grid... But there at least needs to be a consideration, a contemplation that if there is any unreliability at all, that could disproportionately impact a person with a disability. Excellent point. Yeah, I hadn't considered that one, but that's a, that's a really good point. Another disproportionately affected group for the health effects of climate change are people living in lower income neighborhoods without tree cover. Apparently there in some of those neighborhoods temperatures can be 10 to 12 degrees higher than elsewhere wow. in the same city. Wow. So yeah, again, so many, so many direct connections that we need to consider. Yeah, and either way, it was a really interesting day. Uh, like, like Michelle and I are only really giving you the thumbnail sketch here. Really, oh, a like lot there's of, so much. Yeah, yeah. There, there was a lot covered at that UN climate. Yes, uh, the the UN summit yesterday about health and climate. It, it was probably one of the more interesting days uh, of of the summit so far, and maybe one of the most interesting sort of climate days that I've ever had the chance of taking in a couple highlights on. Yeah, me too. And I would recommend uh, this Associated Press had nice in-depth coverage of the day yesterday that's worth checking a look at. And my colleague Jordan Amstead did a great job setting up the Canadian-specific perspective the day before yeah. that. So um, worth taking a look. Yeah, definitely, definitely worth a, a deeper dive. Michelle, let's just switch over to provincial politics. Uh, this is a national show, but, you know, Ontario is the biggest province in the country by uh, quite a ways. And the Ontario Liberal Party has a new leader. Mississauga Mayor Bonnie Crombie won the leadership. Sure yeah, won the leadership after three rounds of ballots on the weekend. So to say that Bonnie Crombie won in three rounds of ballots, I mean, that that is just sort of like a top-line copy. What did the results actually look like? Yeah, well, it was a it was a closer race. This whole race is more interesting than, than first meets the eye. And for a national audience, I'll very quickly set up. The Liberal Party was the dominant force in Ontario politics for decades. Uh, there was a Liberal premier on ensconced for 15 years, from 2003 to 2018. And for the past two elections, they have failed to garner official party status. That is how badly they've done at the polls. So this has been a, a very, they've become a sleeper party and they're trying very much to fight their way back. And Bonnie Crombie is an interesting choice for that job because she has a lot of experience. She's the mayor of Mississauga, which is uh, a huge neighboring suburb to Toronto, mm -hmm. but a very big city in its own right. Um, she's been doing that for nine years. She would spend some time as a federal MP. She was on city council. So she's done most levels of, of politics. Um, and a lot of people expected her to kind of walk away with this. And that's not really what happened. Um, it was... First ballot win was kind of a long shot, but everyone was pretty sure she'd probably get it on the second ballot. There were only four competitors. Two of them had agreed to back each other as second choices in a bid to stop her because she that, that's how much her front runner status was cemented. Uh, but it did take until the third ballot for her to get the win. And even then, it wasn't a huge, huge margin of victory. She had about 53% of the votes. Mm -hmm. He needed more than 50 to win. And uh, Nate Erskine-Smith, the federal liberal MP, uh, came in second place. And he, he uh, in a, by the third ballot, it was just the two of them. But he had about 47-ish percent once it's yeah. all of a sudden done yeah. with this ranked ballot system they had. So 
Um, it wasn't a total lock for Bonnie Crombie, and but yet there is there are other factors that make her victory interesting because this whole race has done a lot to reinvigorate the party and bring in new members, which of course brings in new dollars, which is exactly what a new party or, or an old party on the fringes trying to get back to the center of the action is looking for. Exactly those yeah. sorts of things. The, the word new is really important there for this party, Michelle, because whether you're looking mm-hmm. at the federal MP who was running or the other member who was making it close, uh, Yasser Nakfi, who's been an Ottawa right. area MPP for a long time. He was the party president for a long time. It almost feels like there had to be a sense of new blood in the party, a new energy, and really pulling from the municipal side of things and someone who's been a mayor of of really, like, like Mississauga is its own city, but like it's sort of an extension of Toronto it it, like it is an extension of Toronto and if you can start galvanizing neighborhoods like Mississauga to maybe start to show out in the polls that's the type of thing that maybe doesn't win you a full-blown election in the province but it Mm -hmm. definitely reestablishes your footprint because as goes the GTA so goes Ontario provincial elections so do all elections it's fascinating there's interesting data around that but the 905 which is the the sort of colloquial term with the area code surrounding this, this Toronto area um, th- that's a path to victory for pretty much anyone, federally, provincially. And you're right, Dave, that is a huge priority. That is something that th- any party wants to secure a foothold in. And Bonnie Crombie is well positioned to do that as the long, longest time now mayor for Mississauga. Um, the fresh blood aspect is interesting, too, because you're right. Yasser Nakfi, in addition to everything else you mentioned, was a senior cabinet minister under Kathleen Wynne, as was Stephen Del Duca, the last person who was Liberal Party leader. And I think a lot of the critiques leveled at the party was that they weren't really going for change. They were embracing the same old faces and just shuffling them around. So, yeah, Bonnie Crombie is someone who has not been part. She's been part of the liberal establishment so to speak, but not provincially. So in that sense, she's kind of a good mix of, of sort of old and new in that in that sense. Um, but yeah, it, it because it wasn't quite as convincing a victory as as people expected, that that raises a few questions. And the other thing that has to be considered too is the fact that she does not currently have a house or a seat in the legislature. Yeah, yeah. And 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 has, so, to, and has, to, and has to finish her duties as mayor of Mississauga. She said it explicitly in the victory speech. Too. I've got to put a budget forward in Mississauga and then I can start worrying <laughs> about the province. That's right. So she'll be stepping down sometime in the new year, she said, probably early on. But then, yeah, she's got no seat in the ledge, so she has to figure out, does she want to try to go for one? In which case, are we talking about trying to persuade someone to step down? Are you waiting for an opening? Um, you've got to pick your writings somewhat strategically in a case like that. You sure like do. Sometimes. You sure do. Yeah, absolutely. Just, just, just ask a former federal uh, leader of the Green Party, uh, Annemi Paul, who, who or John who, uh, or John Tory, or John Tory, former, yeah, uh, head of the Progressive Conservative Party provincially. Yeah, yeah. Not, not a great, not a great look when you can't win your own by election. So. Uh, that's, uh, that's something I'll have to consider as to whether to try to go that route at all or just maintain the status quo and have Bonnie Crombie do a big roadshow on the province and try to establish herself from outside the ledge, uh, which is definitely an option as well. So uh, remains to be seen exactly how she's going to jump on that one. Michelle, before I say goodbye to you, you and I have run a little over time here, but I do think it's worth asking this question. A lot of conversations about assistive technology on the show today, and that's the Daily Poll at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Michelle, what's the piece of assistive tech that's had the biggest impact on your life? And I'm going to read the options here, but you're welcome to go off the board. Navigation and GPS, voiceover and voice control, automated captioning or other. 
Oh, that's a tight one. Uh, voiceover is one of the two contenders. That's an absolute game changer for reasons I won't list. Um, but screen reading tech, JAWS has been a game changer for for years. I mean, that's how I, I don't imagine I could have broken into the workforce without it. So I, I'm a bit torn. But if I had to pick, I'll guess I'll, I'll guess I'll go with voiceover for for current impact. Yeah, voiceover. For for what it's worth, I, w- I would allow a screen reader to fall into a subcategory of voiceover. So so maybe you know maybe maybe it all okay. maybe it all connects. Like, ah, maybe there's a wiggle theme here. Yeah. yeah, you know I'm 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 up for wiggle room on a Monday morning. I'm all about wiggle room on a Monday morning. We can't be making Appreciate any hard that. we can't be making any hard and fast policies at almost 9:30 a.m. on a Monday morning. The week's only Especially getting started. Especially without coffee. Yeah, you know, Especially, well, right. I've already had some of that today. Michelle, have yourself a lovely day. Talk to you on Friday as part of the news panel. You too. Take care, Dave. That's Michelle McQuig, Weekend News Editor at the Canadian Press. Coming up next, there are several accessibility issues at public schools in New Brunswick. Shelley Petit will offer some insights on what schools can do to make their grounds more inclusive. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.